Hello, robots, and welcome to today's episode of Remedial Studies. Today is the day. It is our Dungeons and Dragons extravaganza palooza time, TM. This week, we're going to be answering a question <laughs> about Dungeons and Dragons from a listener, and then we are going to be, um, it's going to be a bit, a bit more loosey-goosey, a bit more freeform than we usually do, because it's, um, it's going to be a bit of an old school episode where it's more us in conversation and talking about the Dungeons and Dragons campaigns we're a part of, what inspired us in that campaign, what are our favorite parts of RPGs and the effects they've had on us and wherever the wind takes us. Yeah. Did we want to give people a summary of the main campaign we're both a part of, which we'll be taking up most of the time here yeah i'm gonna try to do this because it's been a while since we played and i don't want rachel to accidentally spoiler me (laughs) that's true i don't want to reveal my grand machinations yeah so we started playing just about two years ago now though we've had a pretty long off season because everyone decided to like buy houses and get new jobs at the same time and Mm -hmm. the closer you get to 30 the harder it is to get six women in the same room at the same time (laughs) that's just real life but maybe soon but we started playing about two years ago it was in february so it is really close to like our two-year we just had like our two-year anniversary Mm -hmm. of playing Uh, We started off with the Curse of Strahd campaign, which is a modular out-of-the-box kind of campaign, where it's it's sandboxy, though, and Rachel did a really good job, like, customizing it to fit, like, our needs and where we needed to go, but I think it was really good for everyone to kind of have a scaffold as we, like, Rachel hadn't DM'd before and none of us had played before, so we came in and we're playing 5th edition Curse of Strahd. And basically how that went is (laughs) we played the first session as something that could be a one-shot, basically, because Mm -hmm. I think some of us weren't really sure if we were gonna like it. So we did really like it, and we kind of entered into the the Curse of Strahd campaign. And basically, like, it's a bunch of people running around (laughs) the Romanian countryside dealing with various kind of gothic creatures. Like, we fought a Baba Yaga at one point. We went into a house that was haunted by a ghostly order of knights. We went to one of the creepiest sequences of the whole campaign. We went up to a monastery. Where there was an angel who was, like, making a homunculus to appease Strahd. So Strahd is basically Dracula. And uh, you're supposed to, like, defeat him. And re- he has a hold over this this uh, valley. And uh, it's like a pocket universe. He has a hold over this valley. And you have to, like, defeat him. And, like, there's this whole thing about reincarnation. And that keeps happening. And, uh, Rachel used this as, like, a launch pad into the main campaign, which is really about this kind of conflict between the good end of the alignment spectrum and the evil end of the alignment 
spectrum, like, on the god level. So, like, our party, because of our involvement in the sort of supernatural pocket universe, has gotten drawn into this celestial conflict on a higher, on a higher plane. And it's pretty rad. (laughs) (laughs) And I, I like it. I like it so much. I guess I can tell you a little bit about our characters because I really feel like Rachel in her infinite wisdom has really allowed our characters to like drive kind of where things go while still keeping us like on task, which I Mm -hmm. feel like it's like we're all in the bus, but I have my hand on the wheel. Yes. Do you know what I mean? Like you got, I I, I really like letting you guys (laughs) dictate pace, Mm -hmm. if that makes sense. Yes. While I have, like, the skeleton of the story. Like, I have the basic roadmap you guys are filling and everything in on the way. Which, I mean, it's nice to feel like we're going somewhere because I think left to our own devices, we might just roleplay dress-up scenes for, like, six (laughs) hours at a time. And that's a valid way to play Dungeons & Dragons, but you will not get much done. Yeah, I mean, yeah, but not, not for, like two six-hour sessions in a row like we need some guidance i feel (laughs) like some structure because it is it is really therapeutic to like kill things in this game (laughs) like if you feel so accomplished and competent even though it's got nothing to do with anything so our party consists of five player characters and an assortment of npcs so I play a very angry 19-year-old paladin of Bahamut um, who had a chaotic neutral alignment originally, and I just, she's my angry child, and I love her. The other character she doesn't get along with because they're too similar is Arden, and she's a human. Arden is our elf ranger. Mm-hmm. And is our token male character. Uh, everyone in our party is wo- is a woman. We had to have that one guy. We had to have one guy. Yeah, one of them plays one of them plays this male character, and he is a ranger, and he's really great at archery. And all of those rolls take seven years, and there's twenty dice per roll. Mm-hmm. And I, I really brought that on myself <laughs> by giving him like a super fancy bow. Yeah. That like does all this all this stuff that I knew the player <laughs> would love and would just freak out about. But I forgot I'm like, okay, so it's Arden's turn. Anyone wanna go get snacks? Like it's gonna take forever. Yeah. Especially because the player has done such a good job of building him to just be a killing machine. Yeah. <laughs> And that character, well, my character is angry. Arden is sort of like purposefully aloof and trying to be disconnected mm-hmm. from the group, I feel like. But it just it doesn't work. And then we have a literal ray of sunshine <laughs> for our cleric uh, named Ellie, who is a cleric of Paylor. And she's just got so much anxiety about doing what's best for everyone and trying to be good and doing the right thing. It's adorable and yet frustrating at the same time because mm-hmm. I think we had some chaotic neutral characters at our party who are like, yeah. um, like, I gotta do some chaotic neutral stuff. I know, sometimes you're just good. Sometimes that's just how it be. 
that was such a fun dynamic to kind of play with, to like push each other back and forth, I feel like. And then we have our butch lesbian mom character, Leah, who is a walking armory. She's an eldritch, is she an eldritch knight fighter? She is. She's an eldritch knight fighter. Um, and basically just is, like, one of the most dependable, like, down-to-earth characters who's, like, an anchor point for the party <laughs> and just moms everyone. hmm And that's one of the interesting things, I think, about Leah's character specifically is that that player has chosen to play her as, like, a woman in her – she's an elf. And then our cleric is a half-elf, but – Leah is, like, in late middle age. Like, she's already been through stuff. Um, well, some of the party is on the younger side, I think. Like, Ellie is a particularly young half-elf. Arden is sort of, like, almost, like, getting to middle age, I feel like. And then, of course, my character, Ren, is very young. And then we had a recent player character death which was very traumatic for everyone we had nyx was a halfling right uh she she was a gnome she's a gnome okay she's extra i can't tell halflings and gnomes apart and i'm really terrible for that i just know that she's very short with giant boobs that was how this character was built that was like a running joke um and she was meant to be like the chaotic, you know, little scamp running around. But um she was built with such a tragic backstory that like it was so interesting to see that she was a, a gnome rogue and just like half the time didn't even like wanna be with the party. Like she needed to go do some other stuff. <laughs> But she, we had gotten sucked into this pocket universe. Mm-hmm. And so we're just kind of like, well. <laughs> we're here now. I guess this is a found family. <laughs> 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 and anyway, she ended up dying in a battle with a dragon. And our cleric tried to revive her. It wasn't her. with the dragon, actually. It, it wasn't, wasn't the, with dragon. the dragon. She died in a fight with a beholder. Oh, okay. I'm thinking I'm conflating. The dragon did happen in that same arc. Yeah, I'm conflating those with another NPC death, which yes. is also traumatic. Yes. But anyway, she died. That's right. She got she got She got death raid by the beholder. Beholders hit really hard, guys. I didn't uh anticipate when I built that encounter that it would kill somebody. <laughs> sometimes that happens. Right, and our cleric tried to bring her back, but I think to kind of settle this character's arc, the player character decided to kind of lay Nyx to rest, Mm -hmm. and that, like, Nyx had been going through all this stuff and maybe didn't want to come back. That was some real heavy stuff for a D&D game. And now her new character is a water... Tell me how to pronounce that word, Rachel. Ganassi. Uh, who is, like, another, is, a, like, probably a cinnamon roll that we all don't want to love, but will anyway. <laughs> oh, we will. He's already worming his way into the group. Yeah, you guys were always an interesting mix of characters. <laughs> um, because it, it, like, like, an interesting mix of alignments and backstories, and there were no, like, repeats, like, nobody, except for 
Arden and Leah, nobody was the same race and like all all this other stuff. And you guys, I think that was what made you guys such a fun party and what led to so much of that like early conflict was there was so much difference of experience coming out of your backstories that everybody came to it with something different. And that's something that I think really drives early roleplay in Dungeons and Dragons, especially. Because it, it can be kind of intimidating. I think we were all really intimidated the first time. Yeah. We kind of tried it, especially the like, and this might be a good time to bring up our one listener question, is when, when you consume actual play shows, like Critical Role especially was the big one for us that we all watched Crit Role back when they were still doing their first campaign. And we're like, well, we want to do that. And we want to get into that. <laughs> but when your only waypoint for what a dungeon master is, is Matt Mercer, who's been DMing longer than I've been alive, probably. It, it can be kind of intimidating when, when you don't really have any other idea of how the game works. And I think one of the things I really love about Dungeons & Dragons, even just as a concept, is it's very malleable. Mm-hmm. We talked about this a little bit in our production meeting about how as long as everyone is on the same page, like DM and players, for, okay, how seriously are we going to take the rules? How much roleplay do we want? How much combat do we want? Like, how serious of a game do we want? As long as everyone is on the same page, it can be whatever you want it to be. Yeah, (laughs) that's definitely true. Yeah, and that's something that is... I almost resisted that a bit at first. I used to almost want to lean into the good old micromanage (laughs) because I'm the kind of, this is how I am in in real life. I really like having structure. I like having a set path to follow. It's one of the reasons I really like leveling in World of Warcraft is you go from here to here to here and do not get off the path. (laughs) And there's a part of me that's comforted in not having to make decisions. There's something about that that appeals to my very anxiety-ridden personality. But you can't be like that mm. as especially as as a dungeon master i don't think you can really be like that as a player too much success either in my experience because there is kind of the this adage i saw it this was a million years ago on a tumblr post about you can't come into dungeons and dragons with the idea that you're going to have full narrative control over anything it is ultimately a collaborative experience and i think the fact that it is collaborative has been some of the most fulfilling aspects of it for both of us. Yeah. I mean, there are places that I wouldn't have gone without other people, like, pushing me in that direction. And there are times where it's like, you kind of want to do this thing, but you have to, like, not do the thing because that's no longer – something else has already happened. And I think that's so interesting to be able to respond to, like, really unexpected – things the thing that happened that most like exemplified that for me was in our curse of straw campaigns one of the ways that rachel deviated from the script that comes with that game is that straw dracula basically came to the party and was like hey i don't really want to be evil anymore but i'm <laughs> trapped in this cycle where i have made an oath to the Dark Lord Vecna, and, like, I want to partner with you to, like, defeat this evil in the land so that I can finally, even maybe not not be evil, but just kind of be 
free of that, of that. And the party decided to vote on it. And like, my character didn't want anything to do with that. It was not not about it. But the party voted to partner with the quote-unquote villain of of the arc to defeat this greater evil. And like, I would not, if I had had full narrative control, that wouldn't have happened. But it led to some really interesting, you know, things in the story. And like, it became an examination of like, can someone be redeemed? Like, what does it mean to want that? And, like, what does it mean to be a villain? And kind of, like, what does cosmic justice have to do with anything? And those are really big questions that we kind of got to sit down and puzzle our way through as a group, which is really fun. Like, you would think that would cause an existential crisis. But it's a very safe place Mm -hmm. (laughs) to kind of examine those things. Yeah, a big thing that I I kind of I kind of do with the whole making it be the big picture god thing, especially I think in Ren's relationship to Bahamut is really I've realized and like looking back on it, me trying to figure out how I think about god, maybe not in like the god capital G church way, but just thinking about the fact that we ha- we as a species have this almost universal idea that there is something bigger than ourselves or someone bigger than ourselves and that we all kind of have varying interpretations as to how interested they are in us. <laughs> and I think it's it's fun to play with that. Having Bahamut be really invested in Ren in a way that she's never really had anybody be invested in her was not necessarily what i set out to do but it became clear to me over the course of our role playing it that that was what ren would need yeah and i was like well if bahamut's a good and benevolent god he would (laughs) want to give her what she needs and that was one of those weird moments that was kind of behind the scenes that that played out in the game over the course of several sessions but like that's something that i put more of myself into than I realized until it was like staring me in the face. <laughs> yeah. Is the whole idea of how godhood works in our game. It's very like game and Pratchett-y because yes. <laughs> I really enjoy the idea of like and this is kind of mentioned a teeny bit in the core rules for how clerics get their magic like how clerics and paladins work is that your power is essentially like an aspect of a mutual relationship you have with a deity which makes sense because as you level up you would become more powerful and the strength of that connection would deepen so it makes sense story-wise that her connection with bahamut has also deepened as she's come into these powers and it's a good time that is one of the things i really like about dungeons and dragons i don't know if a lot of other people do this i really like building story out of mechanics because I'm very interested in how these kind of games are written. Yeah, I, I did have a project. I might return to it because I do really want to do it. The two games I play the most of, Dungeons & Dragons, World of Warcraft. And I started a project where I was going to adapt all the races in World of Warcraft to be playable races. And I was going to call it the Dungeon <laughs> Master's Guide to Azeroth. 
Aww. And That's I was just going to so put fun. it up for free on the DMs Guild just so Blizzard doesn't come after me for copyright. I mean, they still might, but. They still might. <laughs> I'm gonna, I might just make it for myself. I don't know how aggressive Blizzard is about copyright because it's literally like company by company. Anyway. I know that's the thing. And I and I don't know if it would be different if I didn't receive compensation for it or, you know, you know, because some people, if you put it up for free, they don't care. But some people, they're just like, no, nothing shall live. We shall salt this. Earth. <laughs> yeah, it just depends. One of the things that when I think about a, I have a million player characters for world of warcraft and um one of my very good friends that i play with what we really like to do if we ever like write stories about our characters is we think about okay what can they do mechanically in the game and how does that translate to narrative how does that inform character and i think that's something that's very applicable to dungeons and dragons a series that does that excellently which i've talked about before is drew hayes's spells swords and stealth series he does a phenomenal job with that, of, like, translating mechanics to narrative. But I, I think that's something that you can do in-game, because that's something I think I almost tried to do with the player characters for the other mini-campaign we were in <laughs> that was based on Le- Legend of Zelda. Yeah. We played Zora. Yes. The fish people, like Prince Sidon. We decided at the table that they were cousins. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Because it was too good. But the character I play is a monk, and I I rolled his stats um, after I decided what race and class I wanted, and I was like, hmm, I really had no idea who his character was going to be. And I rolled like an 18 for his wisdom, which is great. He's a monk. That's good. And then I rolled a (laughs) 7 for his charisma. And charisma, for those of you who do not know what stats work like in Dungeons & Dragons, has to do with like your persuasion deception performance just generally how you like come off to other people so i decided in looking at that stat okay he can't lie to anybody (laughs) and and at some point he's realized he can't so he just doesn't (laughs) he just doesn't do it i think matt mercer has said before don't be afraid of stats like that lean into them find a character trait and That's just one example, but I think that is such a fun way of taking something that could be very, like, there's a lot of simple math in Dungeons & Dragons, but but something that could, you can think about more statistically and translate it to something that could lend itself really well to role-playing. Yeah. Because it is a role-playing game. Yeah. I mean, part of what is interesting about character creation for me is, like, choosing what you do with those numbers so like Mm -hmm. when i built ren i had a very specific idea in mind for her and i guess this isn't recommended to do this on like your first go around people people talk about doing this sometimes is i built a paladin with really low charisma and you are not supposed to do that if you want to be a good paladin <laughs> because charisma is the stat that paladins use like to create their spell attack bonus and their succeed or fail threshold on on spells and it determines things like how many times you can do certain things in a day and how many spells you get to memorize in a, for a day so if you have bad charisma, 
you shouldn't be as good a, of a paladin as someone who's not. And I really wanted to have this character with this really fraught relationship with her deity who's just struggling with the values of that deity because Bahamut is a basically a silver justice dragon uh and Ren is not about that life <laughs> and and to watch that kind of change over time so like I went in with a very specific concept that I knew that would result in some interesting roles for me the nice thing about with paladins though is because so much about paladins is smiting, the low charisma does not really get in the way of smiting. Which <laughs> I, <laughs> I enjoy that about that so much. Like, I might not be able to remember more than four spells in a given day, but gosh darn it, I can smite the ever-living crap out of some undead at a drop of a hat. It's also super interesting to have a paladin who's really good at deception and sleight of hand <laughs> and not be, like, a trickster guy. You know, it's so, I mean, it depends on your deity, too, but I don't know. I really enjoy that about Ren, and I think the way that her arc is going is she's sort of coming to terms with the fact that, like, she has to be... No one else is going to do it, so she's going to do it because she can't stand to keep watching, you know, stuff happen to people. So I think that's kind of how that character arc is resolving, but it, it'll be interesting to see what happens with her because they're going back to her hometown where everything broke bad and set her on her adventuring quest, so... I'm interested to see how I will play that because I really haven't decided yet. Yeah, that's going to be a lot. <laughs> <laughs> the other character I built that I haven't got to play yet because there's a side campaign that like never lines up with when I'm free. I know. But I built a character. I rolled the worst series of stats you, you can possibly did. imagine. You rolled the worst stats I've ever seen. What yeah, I don't think, I think there were, like, a negative two, <laughs> like, there were no stats above a one, mm -hmm. and I kind of was, like, I was at home, I was by myself, I was, like, no one will ever know if you re-roll these stats. <laughs> if you want to fudge it, I would first of all not have judged you. <laughs> like, I would never have known. Yeah, and I'm, like, you know what? I want to know, like, let me let me build the most devout cleric on the entire planet. Let me make her a, a storm cleric of Thor who got struck by lightning. And that was, like, her come to Jesus <laughs> moment. And, like, just have her be, like, really bad at it. <laughs> and I'm so mad I haven't got to play her yet because that's going to be so fun to play That's, it's so good it's so good you guys oh man i remember um in that world i'm actually uh making an npc from that campaign into a player character um that i'm going to play in um a friend's game in the next few months online the who is a cleric of loki and he nice. is <laughs> speaking of non-clericy things like like working against type almost um, but his thing is he's he's very slippery and he is 
He follows the Loki rules. It's vaguely Loki from the Marvel movies, kind of. <laughs> More so than Loki from the Norse mythology, though Grey will keep me on the straight and narrow because they're Swedish. <laughs> and they take Norse mythology very seriously. His whole thing is is tapping into finding al- alternate ways to feel powerful in a way that is typified by his deity and being you know the lie smith the silver tongue that kind of thing and the most devoted he can get to his god is just just so chaos (laughs) wherever he goes have everyone believe you're on their side and then just pick whichever side is winning and be like we were friends all along right (laughs) <laughs> and it's it's gonna be fun playing him because i don't think he's necessarily an evil character yeah that sounds pretty chaotic yeah. neutral to that's me. the thing it'll be fun because i am not a chaotic neutral person yeah so i think it'll be fun for me to like get that to tap into that of he is very much an i do whatever the fuck is best for me kind of thing it's so hard to play a chaotic neutral character when in real life I'm so lawful good that it's painfully. <laughs> you kind of are. I'm like, I cannot, like, do this because it is against the law. And other people are like, Hannah, like, that's not, you lit, what, like, literally everyone does this. Like, calm down and, mm-hmm. like, stop worrying about recycling your ink cartridges for one second. <laughs> like, <laughs> picture this conversation perfectly in my head i'm like we can't we can't dispose of this this way it's not and they're like hannah it's literally calm down so you know that's who i am as a person Mm -hmm. and i think that was one of the things we kind of wanted to talk about today is like these characters as an outlet for like stuff that we're working through as people yeah because I think I might have talked about this before. It's We've been doing this show for so long now, I have no idea. About how I don't get angry the way that other people get angry. I kind of move past angry into this weird upset place where I am not having, like, a coherent emotional reaction. It's just a hot mess <laughs> immediately. And I'm playing a character that does get angry and is often angry and i think that's been it's been really interesting seeing seeing that play out in a really controlled environment that i can walk away from and like not have to deal with any negative consequences in real life from being angry and just leave it encapsulated in the game you know i've seen anger's a really destructive like force that comes between people and i think in ways like this game has allowed me to see anger in a con- as a constructive motivating force i don't think it's healthy to be angry as much as my character is angry let me just be very clear <laughs> about that but like i guess i'm saying like this has lo- allowed me to experiment in a safe way with the idea that anger is not always a negative emotion <laughs> What has your experience been with that, Rachel? (laughs) My experience with that, I think, has more to do with what goes into being a DM. And because to me, my whole thing, we're going to get a bit hashtag deep here. (laughs) So one of the reasons we started the campaign was as an excuse to see each other. Yes. Because we were all moved out of college. I was living on my own for the first time in my life. 
and I was really fucking lonely because (laughs) I was working a weird shift and like nobody's schedules matched up. We really, I think we're just starting to hit that age and we're still going through it now where you, you don't have a built in excuse to see each other. You don't all live in the same building. You don't all go to the same school. Like you can't walk down the hall and see somebody unless you live with them. And we weren't really addressing that as fully as we could have. Like, I certainly fucking wasn't. Yeah. And one of the reasons I volunteered to DM is so I would have to be there. (laughs) And I wouldn't be able to isolate myself and I wouldn't be able to chicken out. And it was really fucking scary the whole first time. But it, it became something that was such an... And continues to be. We've gone, like I said, we've gone through a very gone through a bit of a dry period but the enthusiasm is still there being an adult is hard so hard it's so hard (laughs) zero out of ten do not recommend yeah i cannot even talk to rachel on like a bi-weekly basis on the phone to do this podcast i know (laughs) it's crazy but that was a big part of the reason i chose that role because i not only would i have to show up I would have to, like, be present the <laughs> whole time. Yeah. And I wouldn't be able to just kind of check out. And I was kind of doing that in my life at the time. Like, I was kind of just, like, like how you do sometimes. How you go around in your own head and you convince yourself of shit that isn't true. And then you're like, oops, got to isolate myself from the rest <laughs> of the universe now. And, like, it's kind of funny looking back on it. But, like, in the moment, it, it was real shitty. It was not a good time. Putting myself in a situation where I had to be so much more outgoing and so much more have such a higher creative output than I had in a really long time, while it was very scary, ended up being like really good for me. Because it's like that thing where you, if you push yourself and push yourself, eventually you'll prove to yourself that you can do it. Yes. <laughs> yes. And you've done such a wonderful job with that story. I feel like we're all very invested. We're very invested in each other, mm-hmm. too, and in this story, because you've provided us with an excellent scaffold, but you've been a very collaborative DM. Like, I don't yeah. think anyone has had, we, I don't think we've had any real permanent, I mean, there's there's always going to be friction. There is a fair amount of rules lawyering that goes on mm-hmm. in any session, and we are not <laughs> exempt from rules lawyering. No, we're not. As much as, like, like for me, I, like, if something is, like, really going to be super dope, then I'll <laughs> probably find a way for people to do it, because, like, that's just fun, and D&D is, is fun. But I am one of those DMs. I don't like to rules lawyer, because it does kind of grind everything to a halt. Yes. But if it's something, like, I remember we, the way we figured out our home rule is... If we can figure it out in two minutes or less, then we might as well just do it. Yeah. (laughs) If it's something that's going to take longer than that and is going to turn into a debate, it's just not worth it. Yeah, I think we have, like, a two-minute limit on, like, rules lawyering from both DM and players. And, like, DM DM wins if we can't come to an agreement. And, like, we've all accepted that. Yeah. Because it just makes everything way easier to have that understanding (laughs) and not get into the weeds. Plus... I mean, we have different understandings of the rules based on, like, which podcast we're listening to at any given no, moment. that's real. 
That is real. Because <laughs> the D&D they play on Critical Role is different than the D&D they play on the first season of Adventure Zone, which was yes. barely Dungeons and Dragons. And that's <laughs> fine. That's fine. It's like, we always go back to this. If everybody is on the same page, then it's fine. Your game can be whatever you want. The real friction comes, I think, from when you get those streams crossed. Or yeah. when you have one person who either doesn't give a shit um, <laughs> or really kind of is no nicer way to say that. They just don't give a fuck. Or you have the one person who might care a bit too much compared to the rest of the group. Like, I think that's really where that friction can come in. Yeah. And that just kills games. Kills it. <laughs> but yeah, I, I can only think of maybe a handful of times off the top of my head where it caused an actual issue but like we all really did have to learn what the hell this rule was talking about and if we should care or not yeah that's like the the caveat to it is like okay this is what this rule says do we care do we integrate this into our thing we really struggle with spell casting in our oh my god we do spell casting (laughs) is so complicated sometimes (laughs) and i will be the first person to admit that i probably shouldn't have picked a paladin because i don't know what it is but other classes just seem less complicated to me for some reason like i played a warlock in a campaign it was a one shot that our friend who was the gnome Mm -hmm. ran and i played a warlock and i played a wizard and i built a cleric and i played a fighter And they were all so much easier for me to pick up in one session than this paladin I've been playing for two years and still (laughs) cannot keep straight what all of my abilities are. Because there are so many times, like, the most recent thing I can think of is, like, you, we were in, like, a mini dungeon and there was some gross mucus fish. The diseased thing where I thought yeah. I was going to be so fucking proud of myself. And then you were like, I can't get diseases. Yeah. And it turns out, and at first I thought I had the disease. And then I was like frantically looking through no. my paladin sheet. And I'm like, oh, wait, I'm immune to disease. My brain literally blue screen. <laughs> I know. I saw, I saw that happen and I felt bad but also really self-satisfied <laughs> like really accomplished i was like yes i remembered a rule but i'm constantly doing stuff like that because one of the dumb things about paladins <laughs> is that they have an area of effect just by being paladins that none of us ever remember so like, i'm like guys me. are you 10 feet away from me are you 10 feet away from me? <laughs> because you get a bonus re-roll that (laughs) you have advantage because for some reason standing 10 feet closer to me means that you are a better fighter luckily we do not have the bunching problem that normally comes with the paladins because um we have a lot of ranged fighters we do we have a lot of ranged fighters oh my I was literally <laughs> thinking about that the other day. And my, I literally felt my brain shut off for a second <laughs> and do like a hard reset. I was just like, and it wasn't even really that I was mad. No. I wasn't mad. I was just like, uh-huh? Like, why did, why are you, it was more of a like, why are you like this moment? I know, it was just else. like, but why? Yeah, that, those classes are so... Like, I just feel like Paladin, and this is maybe me being self-centered too, but I just feel like Paladins are so complicated for no reason. (laughs) Why do you need spellcasting 
special abilities, area of effects, and I don't know. Thousands do have a lot of moving parts. I don't know. I feel like druids will probably also be like that, but I've never played a druid. I have played it. I've played a druid before. They were at level three, though. So I don't, I yeah. don't know how intense it gets. I really like druids. I really like that you can turn into giant animals. Yeah, that's clutch. <laughs> that is clutch. It can, it can be super clutch. I do think monks are my favorite class, though, just because they are so, they hit so hard and you can just keep going and you don't, you don't stop for anything. Maybe that should be a good thing. Do you have a favorite class? As much as I complain about paladins, <laughs> I really do love that class a lot. Mm-hmm. And I, it maybe like it was just my first love into the game. I think clerics are super cool, even though they suffer from the same kind of complexity issues that paladins do. Yeah, there's a lot to think about when you're playing a cleric. But I really enjoyed playing. I played a warlock in the campaign where you played a druid, mm-hmm. which was awesome and i had played like a fighting warlock which i don't know how often other people do that because i guess you can have an there's a path where you can like be a super good spellcaster or you can have a enchanted weapon thing and i did the enchanted weapon because i just really wanted an enchanted weapon (laughs) that's valid you're valid yeah i played like a sun elf dancer warlock which is like the most 13 year old thing possible but also was very satisfying no that's so good man like a lot of the npcs i build for our game are just like my 12 year old fantasies yes that's because, the whole like, point where else am i gonna put them yeah yeah that stuff just it just sits in your head unless you do something with it mm-hmm. i will say that is one of the best parts about being a dm is you like have you make your friends care about your oc <laughs> yeah and we all care about each other's characters so intensely in our campaigns like there have been writings about the campaign Mm -hmm. we have made copious copious playlists for each other there has been art commissioned Mm -hmm. we buy each other dice because it reminded us of somebody's character or like we tag each other or like this is so like your character or doesn't this remind you of like my character and we're all so into it mm-hmm. <laughs> you'd think it would be exhausting but it's really not <laughs> i know the other game i dm for is a little bit different because it's on discord it's all online and it is just me and two other people so it is the concentration of devotion <laughs> it's a little crazy <laughs> Because it's one of those things where, because there's only three of us, there's only two player characters, we can really just kind of do whatever. Yeah. Because all three of us are on the same page. We're also running through Curse of Strahd with some modification and some extra spice from backstories, and it's a good time. I will not say more because one of them listens to this podcast. Dun-dun-dun. Dun-dun-dun. <laughs> you have a 50% chance to guess which one. It, it, it's interesting to me to see that a lot of what i love about our game still translates despite us not being face to face yeah um and i think that's one of the reasons it's had a bit of a renaissance in the advent of websites like roll 20 which are basically toolkits that let you run a tabletop rpg without a tabletop 
and like discord is one of the better more stable clients for voice chatting you can get bots to roll dice and all this other stuff this might be something we're talking about because i still kind of get people of a certain age and i thought <laughs> that should be like me I'll, I'll put a number on it like 45 and up maybe anybody who was old enough so maybe like 50s and up anybody who was old enough to remember when D&D had, like, the satanic panic of the 80s. <laughs> when I tell them I'm playing Dun Dungeons & Dragons, that's still what they think of. And it's it's so odd to me because we're living in a world where it's mainstream. Oh, yeah, for sure. And I think that's part of why we were able to get into it is because it did become mm-hmm. mainstream enough that it didn't come with as much... Of that weird stigma about women and nerds and, like, that weird... Like, I still think there are problems with that that we have mostly avoided by playing in an all-women group of people who know each other very well. Yeah, that's true. And that's something I've, I've noticed. And I have confirmed this with multiple groups. My sample size has grown exponentially. Women and men tend to play D&D very differently. Typically. Yes. <laughs> typically. Of course, there's always exceptions. But, like, I um, was talking to a friend that I play um, another game with the other day. And she was talking about the game she was in. And she's so into the role play and the characters. A lot of the same way we are. And a lot of the guys in her group just don't buy into it. Mm. And she was really frustrated. She's like, you know, I know it's new, but they've been playing for a while. And... And I would think this, and I'm like, I gotta tell you, man, I kind of hear that a lot. <laughs> and and I don't think that's because they're playing the game wrong no, or anything I don't. like that. There's really, the right way to play D&D is how you want to play D&D. But I have noticed that difference where, and, and I don't know where it comes from, is the thing. It might have to do with, um, and this was a conversation that got brought up a while ago, that I think maybe we could re- we could stand to revisit is the way men and women tend to interact with stories and media tends to be different. Yeah. Like, men are collectors, and women, the interaction that leads to, like, transformative works and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And two, I think that, I think that role-playing requires a certain amount of vulnerability and, like, mm. emotional availability. And I'm sure that toxic masculinity, like, 100%, gets in the way of men feeling comfortable, like, crying at a table because something sad happened. Like, there, there's a moment where, like, in the Curse of Strahd campaign, like, my character became best friends with Irina, who, like, got murdered, like, on her wedding day by the Dracula in a past reincarnation and she like sees her one day husband like in a reflecting pool and it's like one of the most gut-wrenching moments of that campaign for me because i remember like being so struck by like this character having this realization about her identity that was so tragic and sad and violent and like you know, it's just, it was a lot. And, like, yeah. I, like, cried in that moment, like, role-playing. I remember that. that. And, 
And I think other people did too. And, and we've all had moments where we've been like really moved by the story that we're telling. And I just don't know if men are allowed to have that space. That's a really good point. That is a very good point. And, I, and I've seen that with men in my life where it's like, why aren't you just expressing this emotion and working through it? A lot of the time it's just because for one reason or another, from one source or another, they've been taught that they can't do that. But yeah, I just, I feel like that has a lot to do, to do with that. Like men are just not socialized to allow themselves to have that level of intimacy with another man in a platonic way. Yeah, because there is, there is an intimacy to that. And we had that built-in friend group that I think lent, lent itself well to getting us there quicker. One of my favorite sessions we've ever done was kind of like the mid-season finale of that arc <laughs> where you guys, um, it, was, it was when Strahd, it was the lead up to when Strahd came to you guys to be like, so this is the deal. And everybody had like a dream that had to do with a significant event in their backstory. The person who plays Arden, like I, I had never seen her cry before that, that time. I remember, like, looking up from my notes and, like, locking eyes with her, and I could see the tears starting, and I'm like, don't you fucking dare. <laughs> We're gonna get through it together. There is kind of a joke, it's like, oh, the DM's gonna use my backstory to fuck me over. And usually it's just, I think you get more of a sense of your character when you have to put yourself in those mindsets. And for some people, those scenes were really sad because all of them were designed to be cathartic in a way. Like the big thing with Arden's character was he had like this true love of his life who had died. And he had drank himself into oblivion and was an assassin for a while. And like all this, all this stuff had happened and he had never dealt with it. And to me, I was like, okay, if I'm somebody reaching out to this person, what form would I take and what would I want to do? And that's kind of what I did for everybody. I have my, I my doubts on myself as a DM, but the, that session and the moment when Nyx died and I could see Ellie's player crying on the side. And I remember I didn't look away that time. I was like, no, I'm going to fucking do it. And I think like the Lion King <laughs> soundtrack or something was playing on my Spotify and because Ellie's whole thing is she wouldn't she wouldn't let things go and she would try to take on everything herself so when she couldn't bring Nyx back Paylor appeared to her and said let me carry her and I remember just seeing her break <laughs> and and everyone kind of did and it like I did I was crying and it was like to me that's that's the most fulfilling part of the game like that's the part of it that's cathartic like you said about the anger like yeah. getting that big emotional reaction but then getting to step away from the table and getting to leave it behind like you can leave it and and that lead up to that just for context like one of the things that you did with that is that bahamut is a very involved deity he's very involved in Ren, but Paylor has had been mostly silent with Ellie and hadn't been directly involved, and she had been calling and calling, like, "Hey, pick up!" Like, there's <laughs> really bad stuff going like... on. 
and wasn't getting as strong of a reaction. And part of that was roles, and part of that, I think, was just, like, I think that's established canon, um, that Bahamut is very involved with his paladins and sends them, like, vision quests and stuff. But, like, that was the first time that Paylor had appeared to her in the whole campaign. And, like, I remember, like, that, choosing that moment to have that happen was, like, part of why it was so heartbreaking. Yeah, because uh, a big thing about being a DM is it's, it's kind of the same thing with, it's a little bit like writing and it's a little bit like directing where you want to sort of make the skeleton and then you want to give players the room to fill it. And the thing that we were working through that I don't, I don't think me and that player had ever really discussed it to any length is Ellie wanted to save everybody. And you can't. You can't. <laughs> You'll drive yourself crazy. And that doesn't mean it's not a noble goal, but you just can't do it. I use um the optional rules Matt Mercer made up for his campaign setting. And she does resurrection a little bit differently, where in the rules as written, it just kind of happens. But with him, and I think Mark Humes of High Rollers does something similar, you have to do a ritual, people have to give offerings, and you make rolls. And twice ellie had tried to use the spell revivify which is the lowest level spell that can bring someone back to life and it's just a straight wisdom check because that's the stat clerics use for their spell casting and she had failed the one for the npc and she got a natural one on the one for nyx and i remember looking at it and being like i have to do something with that one like there's at this point there's a reason for it and it turned out into that big story moment. I think that's something else to, that I just, that I think comes from experience both as a player and as a DM. But I think we had a bit of a thirst for, okay, we have these numbers. What do they mean in the story? <laughs> I've been talking to, to a few people the past like few days about what does a natural 20 mean to you? Not necessarily in terms of mechanics. Like mechanics wise, you, you succeed. On whatever you want to do. It's the highest number you can roll. What does that success look like? Because I had a conversation with somebody where he he wasn't really lamenting. But he was talking about, you know, th that one player. They're staying true to their character and you always want to encourage that. But maybe the thing they want to do is going to break your game. <laughs> I was like, you know you can say no, right? And he was like, what are you talking about? I'm like, you can just say you can't do that. It's your story, too. <laughs> but I, I love the idea of... I've never really bought into, I should say. I've never really bought into the idea that a natural 20 means you can do whatever you want whenever you want to do it. I think it it's a success, but what that success looks like can vary. And vice versa, I think a natural one is something that can also have really good story implications. As to what does that failure look like and what does it mean for the character. Now, obviously, in that example, it was a very impactful moment emotionally. Not all of them are like that. No. <laughs> Again, kind of going back to that building narrative out of mechanics, I think is my favorite way to play D&D. &D because it, it, makes, it makes you, I think, more invested as a DM. And that is very infectious, I think, to players. Yeah. Yeah, there have been some good 
some good moments around natural ones and natural 20s. My favorite natural 20 I ever got was you built everyone in the Curse of Shaw campaign like an artifact, I think, that they got. And mine was basically um, a holy symbol that made me a better paladin. <laughs> but to put it on, I had to do like a will yeah, you had save to, do a charisma to keep my throw. alignment. And this was, like, the whole thing about Ren's character up to that point was that she was maintaining her neutrality even though she's connected to this good deity. Like, that's the that's the push and pull of that relationship. And you built that to, like, mm-hmm. test me. I know I you did. did. I did. <laughs> and, and, of course, Hand of the Player cannot resist the 6-6 six, six <laughs> bonuses that came with I that. I did because I was like, I'm going to take it. You don't gotta take it. But I, and I made it charisma specifically because that was your dumb stat. Yeah. Which for a paladin is dumb, but it's neither here nor there. That's how I yeah, it. because that was the thing. It was, it was a bit of a test. And um, I set the DC to what I was comfortable with so that we could let, let the dice decide. But continue your story. Yeah, but I remember like being so nervous because I don't think I was ready as a player to really face like what an alignment change would mean especially over like an object Mm -hmm. (laughs) but i did roll a natural 20 after like after all that lead up waffling around yeah like i was in i feel like i was really anxious about it and everybody else was very interested to see what Mm -hmm. would happen but I did roll a natural 20 and everyone is one of those moments. Sometimes you roll a natural 20 and everyone loses their goddamn minds. And it's like the best feeling. It's so good. <laughs> and that was one of those. There have been a couple times like in really clutch battle moments or something, you know, and we're just all like, it's like we're at a sports bar and, and drunk and our team just scores like the winning yes. touchdown. And we're like, yes, it's so good. That was one of those moments that I I won't forget that anytime soon. And then the actual alignment change came during one of those NPC deaths. I think that is still my favorite thing we've ever done. Yeah, I mean, ripped straight off of Critical Role, but like in a good way. Critical Role set the tone. We're just following it. That still remains, I think, one of my more famous text posts I've ever made on Tumblr. (laughs) Because it started with... I was like, it's been three days, and I still cannot believe, like, how quickly and efficiently these people worked together (laughs) to save their NPC friend. And then, like, I don't think, I was like, no, you don't understand. You don't understand. Like, this whole thing happened. And it was crazy. Everyone was crying. But it, it brought out these wonderful, wonderful character moments. And, like, Rin changed her oath that she had stuck to for a year and a half (laughs) because this guy's life was not more important than her anger and it was just like this revelation and i remember just feeling like so satisfied not because of like (laughs) she's fallen into my trap but like (laughs) it felt like something ren would do for that character and then there was like leo who didn't really talk about who doesn't really talk about her life talking about like i can't lose another child like i did with my daughter and like that kind of blindsided me 
And then there's Arden being funny to hide his real feelings. Like he always does. And it, it was just crazy. That whole sequence, I think, still remains one of my most fulfilling moments as a DM. I remember it started, you guys resurrected him in like a cloak, a cloak closet. Because you were at a party <laughs> and you had to like rifle yeah. through people's pockets for gold. So you could, <laughs> so, because um, the way I do material components is I don't really worry if you have actual diamonds. Like if you have the gold, you can do the spell. Who gives a fuck? My city now, Chris Perkins. Like that is the thing we say in the game. I say with my other game all the time is our city now, Perkins. <laughs> and I think I think he would encourage that. Yeah, it's we've had some really good moments. I don't know, and I like kind of like the everyday stuff where it takes like yes. four hours to go shopping. You guys love to shop. You love to shop. We really do. I need to put more NPC villains in shops. Maybe then you guys will run into them. <laughs> Maybe we will actually fight someone if you confront us while we're shopping. <laughs> I mean, we fight stuff and we like combat, but it's just like we just naturally want to talk to I know, each that's other. Thing, especially I like when we play. Like, oh my god, the next time we play, when we haven't seen each other in months, it's going to be crazy. There's something just fundamentally, I think, so fulfilling about that. And I think that's part of the reason I get kind of bummed that guys don't play D&D like that. Because it's so fulfilling. I'm like, I'm like, you will love it. <laughs> you will grow closer together. Because that game, especially when we were playing, we were almost playing every week there for a while. Yeah, we got really into it towards the, like, finale of the first, of the first arc. arc. Like, we just, we needed to resolve it because it was like... It was, I'm not going to say it was all-consuming, but, like, we all thought about it a lot uh-huh. when we weren't playing. Because it's like, we need to know yeah. how this story turns out and, like, do these made-up people that I have crafted with my, like, best friends, like, do they do they, succeed? <laughs> do they get to be happy? Do we defeat evil? Or is it the first TPK of the yeah, <laughs> doing to start over? And I, I know... Um, they did a whole bunch of interviews with the people on Crit Roll when they were winding up to do their big season one finale. And Matt talked about that. He's just like, you know, it would almost feel like a disservice to them at this point if there wasn't a possibility they could die. I mean, because that's the thing is, like, I feel like that if there isn't that risk, it doesn't mean as right. much. And even though it's, like, made up, it still matters. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, and, and I... 100% am a card-carrying member of, like, the DM who, like, talks a big game but secretly like, sets everything up to favor the players. Like, <laughs> I love doing that, especially for, like, low-stakes stuff. Like, in the beginning, to have people get confidence. Like, I love that. Because people, especially in combat, like, people love fighting stuff. But I, I do think at, at a certain point when we talk about, like, tiers of play, like, when you're fighting gods and demons, you know you could die. And that's part of the reason it, like you said, it makes it so epic and almost more realistic and mean more when you do come out on top. And I think this was something, I didn't, I didn't really struggle with it, but I think it was maybe a misconception I had when I was first learning about Dungeons and Dragons, is in terms of the actual people who play it, nobody's fighting against the other person. One of the things I always parrot is you can't win D&D. 
<laughs> yes. The DM can't win. The players can't win in the way that you do a, a traditional game where you beat an opponent. Like, no, nobody is opposed to anybody else. And I think that's one of the reasons I like playing it over some other games. As much as I do love my Overwatch and I love hashtag getting good, <laughs> like, sometimes I don't want that energy. Sometimes I want the collaboration and D&D is so, is so great for that. Like, my dad is so confused now because I'll, like, sit in my basement and play pretend with my friends over Discord for, like, six hours every Saturday. <laughs> and I'm like, you don't understand. We're making a story. <laughs> I don't know. It, I, I really think, like, within the past few years of my life, like, getting into D&D was, like, a bright, shining light in an otherwise kind of shitty time. We have we were talking about that a little bit. Like, a lot of people, like, oh, and it's not just us. A lot of people we know have gone through it the past few years. And having something that can be so unironically positive and cathartic is... Nothing but wonderful. Okay, robots, that is enough D&D for one podcast episode. Thanks for indulging us. This was a listener request, and if all of your requests are like this, we will probably just do everything that you tell us. Uh, <laughs> next time, we're going to talk about American Gods. Just the Just the book... Uh, we might talk about the show a little bit, but we're we're really just gonna focus on the book to keep it from like taking up my entire life, basically, <laughs> for two mm-hmm. weeks. And I do want to say thank you to Michaela at Gilded Table for sending in a question. She was the one who asked about how real play D and D shows influence our expectations of our our home games and change how we play so we kind of answered that throughout the whole thing this is a guiding light in our discussion this evening so thank you for that Michaela. yeah so rachel do you want to tell the good people about our social media presence yes the social media presence i've been neglecting because i'm getting my master's and turns out that's hard and time consuming (laughs) So we are um we are most available on our Twitter at Remedial Studies. We are also have a Tumblr, Remedial Studies Podcast.tumblr.com. We have an Instagram at Remedial Studies. I think we actually, weirdly enough, have the most followers on it on Instagram, even though we have the least number of posts on there and are most inconsistent. <laughs> um but that is the best places to find us online. You can also email us, remedialstudiespodcast at gmail.com. We love getting emails. We we love it. Like, we got, like, three in a relatively short amount of time one time, and we almost, like, combusted. It was almost, it was almost just too much. Yeah. It was almost the end. <laughs> we got positive feedback, and it was almost the end of this podcast. <laughs> we were just like, we don't need to do it anymore. We don't. We can't. We've we've peaked. <laughs> We're done with our hundred Twitter followers and thirty downloads a month. <laughs> We're done. Oh man, I remember like we kind of talked about that about how there's at some point it's just the fact that we have even the little following that we have is so humbling. And now that we're actually like hearing from people that they listen to the show from like far and wide is kind of insane. 
Yeah, it's like, oh, I have influenced the lives of, like, ten people in, like, other countries, and I never would have right? had those experiences if we hadn't been doing this. Like, I feel like that is, is entirely worthwhile. Yeah, like, people think we're having a positive impact on them. I'm just like, I'm <laughs> like, okay, I mean, I'm, I'm, I am overjoyed. That is ideal. Yes. We would love to make a positive <laughs> impact on you. We talked a lot in the beginning about doing the show for fun and we still do do the show for fun because tbh we do not put nearly enough time and effort into this to qualify it as like a job like how some people do this is our hobby yeah this is a hobby and i refuse i refuse to monetize my hobby i'm sorry Mm -hmm. i'm Mm -hmm. but i'm not (laughs) so yeah hashtag free for everyone forever but it's been it's been a real good experience that we get to do silly episodes like this one and talk about things we love a year and a half down the line. Yeah. Bonkers. Bonkers. But yeah, next time we're going to do American Gods, which is one of my favorite books of all time. Big influence in how I do gods in all my campaigns. Neil Gaiman, what a legend. So do your homework. We will be back in two weeks. And uh, you will not see us. We will not see you. But you will hear us next time, robots. Goodbye. Bye, robots.